0: Radio news.
1: And now, for the Faith FM Breakfast Show, with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome everybody, you're listening on 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, a special shout out this morning to all those listening in Mackay in Queensland on 87.6, Mackay, that is spelt Mackay?
2: Yeah. I I know what you mean. I've I've had interaction with people from Mackay for a long time. Yes. From when I was young and I was always like, Oh, so you're from that would say Mackay and then I'd see it written somewhere, I'm like, What's a Mackay? Well, that I mean, I grew
1: up in Tasmania, and it was like there's a place in Queensland called McKay, and then I found out otherwise. But (laughs) anyway, that's how it goes. Uh, Special shout out also to those listening in Broome, Western Australia. Mm. I have never been to Broome. I want to go to Broome. Mm. It is on my bucket list of places that I want to see. And of course, Rosebery in Tasmania, been there many times. Mm. They're listening on 88.0. So big shout out to all those guys. How was your weekend, Lawson?
2: It was so good. I, and I want to sh- give a shout out to my friends from church because, you know, just things, things go wrong in life and there are people who you can lean on to help you out. And particularly my friends from church. I was, I was driving my car on Friday. And the engine light came on, and I was like, That's not positive. I don't like that. Luckily, I looked up like the kind of, because the engine light and the cruise control flashing and the traction control light all together. And I'm like, what, oh! is, what, is, what does this mean? Luckily, it's only an air fuel problem, but I'm thinking, Oh, if it's a catalytic converter, it's going to cost me a billion dollars. Yes. But then my friend from church on Saturday yeah. night was like, I've got an OBD reader and oh, actually it's your O2 sensor and that's cheap. And I was like, yes. Thank you. Friends from church. You're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM positively different.
1: Mm. Time for a question for our quiz. We got some epic prizes to give away this week. I can highly recommend all of the prizes this week. Let's talk about the prizes. Let's talk about the quiz.
2: We've come into a new week, and as last said, we've got new prizes. Before we get into our new prizes, we're going to read another question, or our first question of the week, of the day. What book of the Bible immediately follows the book of Daniel? So if you've got a Bible there, open it up. And look what's next. If you're a church attender, you don't get to do that. Yeah, that's right. Provided if you are a non-church attender and you just absolutely don't know, then we give you that license to be able to do it. We want you to study the Bible. If you're a church attender... You know, Keep that keep the Bible Challenge closed. Yourself. You should have read it this morning already. Or maybe you're planning to read it as we do our Bible study. So praise God for you. But uh, yeah, open the Bible uh, or don't open the Bible. But give us a call 0491 064 Our prizes this week, we have a collection of true stories. Some of the titles of which being The Man Who Couldn't Be Killed, which is a story that comes from China's Cultural Revolution. We have The Richest Caveman. Which is the Doug Bachelor story, talking about how he went from being a literal caveman, like living in a cave. Yes, literally living in a cave. Literally living in a cave to, yeah, following God and doing the work that he's doing now and spreading the gospel around the world. And then finally here. And by the way, he was the son of a multi-billionaire. Incredible. Yep, and then he finally here. The French pilot. Oh, yes. A seafaring tale of adventure and faith by Alan Steele. Now, as we go through this week, I want to give you more information about all of these books. I've read them all. You've read them all? What do you think of them?
1: They are just outstanding. This is
2: an outstanding collection of stories. Amazing. So if you would like to have the opportunity to invest yourself in an outstanding collection of stories that are true, stories about faith, Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. And again, that question was: What book of the Bible immediately follows the book of Daniel? If you want any terms and conditions in regards to our quiz, you can also head to faithfm.com.au dot au, and we will give you all that information. My favourite's the French pilot. Really? Yes. You like my French favorite. people? Yeah, I love French people. <laughs> France is amazing. You I've been just to, get, you've been to France? I've many been to France. France a number of times. Yeah, it's I've, I've, I've spent a considerable amount of time in France. I, I think France is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous country. It's amazing. Hey, okay. So, Lyle, yes. good news for today. I have an interesting story to tell uh, that actually goes back to last night. Uh, because yesterday and last night, I was invited to a moon festival But yeah, I'm okay. All right. So I, I go to university, like where I study is Avondale. I'm studying my degree in theology and the majority, the overwhelming majority of people who go to Avondale are Christians.
1: So you study at Avondale university and you work at Newcastle university. But I work
2: at Newcastle uni and I've made some international friends there. And there was this particular girl from Taiwan who was like, guys, we're going to have the moon festival. And you know there was a very small group of us, like maybe I don't know, like ten people, compared to like it could have been like a big party or something. But there was like a it's a small group of us, and she was like, "Yeah, come over, we're going to eat food and and hang out and eat mooncakes for the moon festival." I like the mooncakes. Yeah, yeah. They sound.
1: They sound delicious in fact i think i've eaten moon cakes before
2: they're good they're not vegan so i didn't get to eat any but no it was it was a good time but I, I get invited over there to this moon festival to to and the reason the moon festival exists is to celebrate this story okay that comes from chinese mythology and i want to tell you the story because i have some thoughts about it and yes. i have also some thoughts about how it compares to what we believe so the story basically goes like this there's three main characters hu yi tsung Uh and another guy named Xi Wang-me. Now, I'm going to call them Hao, <laughs> Chung, and Shi, because it's yeah, easy, easier. easier for us this morning. Now, the story basically goes like this. In the early stages of the Earth, there were 10 suns, okay? And it was really hot. Like, not 10 children, 10 suns in the sky. In the sky. It was incredibly hot, and there needed to be a solution for this. So this guy, Hao comes along with his bow and arrow and shoots nine of them out of the sky. Right. And everyone is very thankful. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. And they want to crown how king. Now, there's a few different, like, little variations in the story. Some people say when he became king, he became tyrannical. Some people say he was a good thing king. But regardless, he becomes king, and his reward for being king is that this guy named She comes along, well, actually, this is like a, a goddess, a goddess named Shi, and she gives him an elixir of life, which, if he drinks, will cause him to live forever. So this is this is what Shi does, gives-, gives this elixir to him. Now, this guy, Hao, has a wife named Chung, okay, and at first, Hao decides not to drink the elixir because he's like, I want to live with my wife and not be immortal, and it would just be terrible if... You know, I was immortal and she wasn't and she died. I, I don't want to go through that. So he puts the elixir under his bed. But then his wife Chung finds out about the elixir and she drinks it herself and ascends to the moon to get away from Hal. And then Hal tries to shoot the moon with his bow and arrow but misses all his shots. And then he gets really sad and starts leaving desserts out for her so that she would come back up until the day he dies including cakes that we now call moon cakes. Okay. So, okay. so this is the myth-, myth. This is the myth. This is the myth. This is the oh, story. I want to hear your thoughts on this. And, and so they were sharing this in the group and, you know, we're sharing and we're kind of laughing about it and, and thinking about it. Uh, and the way that this girl was talking about it, and there was a few other people there from Malaysia, from China, from Japan, that, that you know, have some connection to this story in the, in their various uh, cultural backgrounds and they're like yeah so this is our mythological story that is part of the religion of you know buddhism or ancient chinese ancient chinese religion and culture uh that is in their perspective is like obviously we don't necessarily believe this is real uh but at the same time you know every uh group of people has their mythological background you know, and and I think someone brought this up, like, oh, you know, there are, like, Christian stories, like the story of God creating the world, and there's Chinese stories, like, none of these people, by the way, were Christian, I was the only one there, and I'd been invited to come along, and so I had said yes, and they're talking about it this way, and I, I started to think, like, I didn't really speak up at the time, you know, I, I kind of shared a little bit about, like, how I'm Christian, and and what I believe, but I didn't really want to, like, get into them about the, you know, the the deep details and the differences, but I thought this would be a good time on Faith of them to be able to do so. So, I was thinking about the differences between these two stories, like are uh, both like both this story of Chung ascending to the moon and say creation and the flood, are they comparable? Uh, are they just you know cultural background and fodder that explains things? Well, do that they have see? a common source? Yeah, th- that explains things that they see today. And I would say absolutely not. I would say they are incredibly different. Um, and I would say the story of the Bible is in- way more relevant than the story of E for a couple of different reasons. You can easily tell that one's mythology and one's not. So the first one is that the story, the ancient Chinese story of this moon goddess and why they eat mooncakes um, and shooting down the suns absolutely doesn't comply with natural history or anything that we see and Agreed. we discover. it's not plausible. It's completely not plausible because we don't see an earth you know, when we get down into our sedimentary layers and whatnot, we don't see an earth that was surrounded with ten suns that people We also could don't on.
1: have any kind of concept of how you would shoot down a sun with an
2: arrow. With a bow and arrow. That's right. So, in that sense, like, it doesn't comply with anything we see naturalistically no. today. No. Versus the story of, say, the flood and the Bible that... Uh, Sorry, the flood in the Bible. Every
1: landform on the planet testifies to the experience of the flood. Yeah, every
2: landform on planet was created by the movement of water. That's right. And furthermore, taking a step back into creation, where it's like, oh, we see that God put in place these different processes that we see reflected in the world that we live in today. And we see life coming from life today, so it is plausible Mm -hmm. that life came from life back then as well. Furthermore, this story has absolutely gives no attempt to date itself or to put itself within history. Whereas like the Bible absolutely does by giving us the lineages and the genealogies. Like Bible scholars, you can basically confidently say, Bible scholars confidently say the flood happened in around the year 2472 BC and they have a rough, rough estimate for creation around 4100 BC. Like, mm-hmm. but it's, you can almost calculate it to the year because of the effort that the Bible takes to put those genealogies yeah, the Bible, in The place. Bible
1: almost almost jumps up and says, please, please, please investigate me.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: Whereas For you, authenticity.
2: You absolutely cannot do that with the story of Tonga. No, it and, just, and it's not trying to. gives no attempt. It's not trying to. But finally, you could just say, okay, well, the Bible's explaining things that we see today, and it could just give a plausible story about what we see. Sure. But there's no attempt in the story of air to give verifiable supernatural evidence to back up the things that happened in Cheng E's life versus the Bible that says, okay, God created the world. That's something that you didn't see. And it's something that happens supernaturally. So what I'm going to do as God, I'm going to take the book, the primary resource of information about me, and I'm going to make one third of it predictions about the future that I are impossible to make so that you can absolutely verify that my supernatural power to create the world is real
1: absolutely so
2: i was you know just thinking about this i had a great time last night uh but it's good to know that i believe in a god who can verify himself you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm
1: positively different we have some epic prizes to give away i've read all of these books they are all amazing i will tell you a little bit about them whenever lawson asks me to tell you about them maybe one of the time. <laughs> i'm
2: about to okay all right <laughs> but which one do you want me to talk about before we get into the books we'll get into the question what tribe of Israel was the Apostle Paul from? 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And, Lyle, we have one of these books here. It's called The French Pilot. It's my favorite of the three. In, in amongst our The Man Who Couldn't Be Killed Which and The Richest Caveman. Amazing. But The French Pilot, what's, what's going it's, on there? This is a, this is a sailing story.
1: Oh. So he's not a pilot who flies aeroplanes. He's a pilot who guides ships up harbours. Mm. So whenever a ship is coming into harbour, your captain, your skipper, never never, uh, ne- never skippers a ship into harbour. Mm-hmm. What happens is you, when you see a ship coming in, you'll see the pilot boat going out. Uh, the pilot boat will meet the ship before it harbours, and the pilot is somebody who knows the harbour Intimately, because every harbour is very different. All harbours have currents; they have uh, sandbars and rivers mm. and muddy areas and so forth. You need to know a harbour intimately to be able to take a large ship into that harbour. And so, mm. this is a practice that has been around from, you know, at the very least, medieval times, if not ancient times, where you'll have harbour pilots. And so, this is a guy who was operating as a par- as a harbour pilot, and he was a Huguenot Christian, and mm. it tells the story.
2: Of a very narrow escape.
0: Mm.
2: Wow. Yes, so, with his entire family. Again, that question was, what tribe of Israel was the Apostle Paul from? 0491064669. You are definitely one of getting, you want to get in to this draw. Indeed you do. Now, wow, what's happening in the world of
1: News. Religious liberty. Let's talk about it this morning. So a school in the United States has been ordered to pay a teacher $95,000 to settle a lawsuit over transgender issues. Ooh. So the suspended teacher, Pamela Rickard, uh, was suspended for using a transgender identifying student's name.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: Yes, for using their name. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, basically what happened was uh, the transgender student says, well, these are my pronouns, and this is like, fine, you know, I'm buy into that kind of thing, so I'll just call you by your name. Mm-hmm. Your name is this. That's the name you go by. That's the name your friends call you. Everybody in the school calls you. That's, I'll just call you by your name. Uh huh. She got fired for that. What? Yes. Okay, and the other big issue at stake here that she was fired for was that she – told the student, told the school that she disagreed with their policy, their school policy book, which requires her to lie to the parents on behalf of the student. Mm. So she was fired for not lying. Now, in the past, and here where I work, we have a code of conduct. Yeah. And if I breach the code of conduct, I get fired, and Uh. part of the code of conduct is don't lie. Yeah, 100%. You know, Just like the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Mm-hmm. And if you start telling fibs, you're going to get fired for lying. She got fired for not lying. It's like, no, you must lie. You must teach our students how to lie and how to lie effectively. Mm-hmm. You must teach our students to be deceivers. And you must teach our students how to be criminals. Mm-hmm. And you must model that to our students. And if you don't model that to, that, to our students, then we're going to fire you. Mm-hmm. So there's some pretty crazy stuff. This is Fort Riley Middle School. Uh, A federal judge said she was likely to succeed in her claim uh, against a specific school policy that prevents teachers from disclosing a student's transgender name and pronouns to parents unless the student approves of it. Mm. Uh, She said, well, the policy violates her religious liberty rights under the First Amendment because as a Christian, the Bible says thou shalt not lie, and so she can't lie to parents. Mm. She has to be truthful with parents about what's going on at school. She also believed that parents have a fundamental right to control the upbringing and education of their children. That's also her sincerely held religious belief, which is my sincerely held religious belief. She also, as a school teacher, recognizes that teaching children to lie, teaching students to lie, is a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Instructing them to lie is the worst thing ever. Uh, she believes that addressing students. One way at school and a different way when speaking to their parents is dishonest. Mm. And the court found that, surprise, surprise, uh, being dishonest violates her sincerely held religious beliefs mm. and uh, ordered the school to reinstate her job and to fork out 95000 in damages plus the attorney's fees to settle the case.
2: Also being forced to be dishonest violates the law. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like that's called fraud and... It's against the law. (laughs) How can this not be obvious? Yeah.
1: How can this not be absolutely blatantly obvious? Uh, She was defended by Alliance Defending Freedom, Mm -hmm. um, who stated that no school district should ever force or ask teachers to willfully deceive parents or engage in any speech that violates deeply held religious beliefs. Mm. So the issue at stake here is the issue of lying. Mm. And it is a very strange world in which we live where teachers are forced to lie to parents to be able to keep their jobs. Mm. All right, so moving on from there with a similar story, uh, this one coming from another Christian school in the state of Florida, and uh, they have been receiving death threats because they said they wouldn't lie. Oh, wow. They're like, no, we're not going to lie. They also have a fairly full on policy here. Uh, so, this is a school administrator, uh, administrator at Grace Christian School in Florida uh, that's received these death threats after the school stated that, in accordance with a decades long policy, so nothing changing, it's just like, yeah, our policy hasn't changed. It would not allow any students living in a transgender, homosexual, or sexually immoral lifestyle to attend the school. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's an interesting thought and something for our listeners to think about. With our Christian schools, do we want to control what a student does at home? Or do we only want to control what a student does at school in our selection of students? Mm. Now, I believe that a school has the right to take either position. The position of the schools that I grew up in was that what you do at home is your parents' issue to take care of, and so therefore you don't get fired, you don't get suspended from school for what you do outside of school hours. Yeah. But, you know, I had I had friends at school who were having sex at school and that kind of stuff and doing immoral things, and the only reason they didn't get suspended was because they never got caught. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: whereas this particular school says, no, if you if you are living and affirming and practising an immoral lifestyle and you are modelling that to other students because that's how you live your life, then you can't be a part of the school. Mm. I believe they have every right to say that. hmm Which, which, you know, which view, which direction should we go here? It's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, the school that I went to had a policy that uh, only ten percent of the students could come from a non-Christian background. Oh wow! Because they wanted to maintain a certain flavor amongst the student body, and so they were discriminatory in the way they allowed students to come into the school. Mm. Um, And so, you know, school schools do have the right and have a
2: long precedent of. Of deciding what kind of a flavor they want to have at school. Yeah. Also, as we discussed last week, as well, because this is private education. Like that's right. <laughs> that you have. And there's also this thing option. called capitalism. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> if you don't like it, don't go. Don't go and shoot the principal. Mm-hmm. Don't go to that school. Mm-hmm. And if uh, the majority of people don't like it, then that school will no longer exist.
2: And again, like there's the caveat, like the qualifying statement with that. It's like obviously what they're doing isn't illegal. Like, that's, that's, yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, so the Grace uh, Christian School Administrator Barry McKean says if I back down from something like this, I'm abandoning what God has said, what has said is the truth. I kind of rack my brain like, how is this hard for people to understand? This is what God said. This is one of the many reasons we have a Christian school, and we're not going to abandon this policy. God has spoken on these issues. Mm. Like, this is clearly what the Bible says. They have a policy that is um, against, you know, all kinds of. Homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, uh, transgender identity, lifestyle, self-identification, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery and pornography. Mm-hmm. All of those things together. I mean, hey, I wouldn't blink about sending my kid to this school. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd pick it in a heartbeat. What's your thoughts? Let us know. It's an interesting uh, one here. Do we stop? Do we control? Do we influence what students have, are doing outside mm-hmm. of school? hours?
2: You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
1: It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM and we are going to have next question for our quiz.
2: Who was Abigail's first husband? 0491 064 064. 669 is the number to call again. As we said, if you get those questions correct, if you get that question correct correct, you will go into the draw to win out three amazing real-life true stories of people um having amazing journeys of face. We ha- we have the French pilot, the richest caveman, and the man who couldn't be killed. We'll give you some more information about those as we go on through the week. But again, that question was who was Abigail's first husband? 491 064. Six six nine. Okay, so coming up right now we have our interview of the day and we're doing something a little
1: bit different this week. We're featuring some, great, some stories of faith as our giveaways for our quiz and we're going to feature a story of faith this week. It's going mm. to go all week. It's a long story and we were only able to record a portion of it. You'll have to wait for the book to come out to be able to read the full story. But this is the story of Owen Shaw. And I wish that we had more time than what we do, but we're going to do this over four presentations this week, and then it will be available as a standalone long-form podcast for anybody who wants to listen to it that way. So without further ado, this is Owen Shaw. Joining us in the studio this morning to share, a, I guess, a very remarkable story is Owen Shaw. Owen, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you going? Owen, as we get into your story, and we're going to talk about your journey of faith this morning... We're probably going to talk about this over a couple of mornings because it's a fairly long story, but just to set the scene for us, I'm just wondering whether you could tell us a little bit about your
0: childhood, your family, what kind of a family you grew up in and so forth. Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home and we had quite a tumultuous history because our family actually split up when I was about 14 years of age. And then we kind of kept in touch, but it was very estranged. So my whole family was kind of off into the distance. And then I kind of fell out of the church at this point. Sure, so you've been living in a Christian home, and I'm thinking,
1: was this like a devout Christian home where, you know, you've got family worship, that kind of thing happening? Yeah, yeah. My, My
0: dad was actually a pastor. Okay. So it was, I don't know, a little bit different when I fell out of the church as to when all my friends fell out of the church.
1: And marriage breakups happen... And they happen to pastors, and I think what we find is that the trauma is at an extra level when it happens with a pastor, and that's part of the tragedy, I guess, of just simply the kind of work that your dad was involved in and whatnot, but it's part of the tragedy of the world in which we live right now, that you go through that as a pastor's kid, it's going to be harder. You're 14 years old. You say you lost contact with your family and it all started to fall apart. Were you living with your dad or your mom or did you just move out by
0: yourself or what happened there? So when I was about 15, I moved out of home into a share house with some friends and they were all uni students. They helped me get through school. They did a lot of things like that, but they also introduced me to alcohol. They introduced me to a lot of things that I did in my life that I'm very not proud of, but they yeah. are still there.
1: I hear what you're saying I left home when I was 15 and came very close to the same path, but in my case, stopped just short of it. But that's really a natural path for a 15-year-old who is living by themselves to go down. Mm. And particularly for somebody who has grown up with the security of restrictions, when suddenly the security of those restrictions is gone, then it's easy to go down that path. So, you know, you could become involved with alcohol and so forth. That's going to go badly. It always goes
0: badly. That's going to spiral. Where does that end up? I was uh, tagged as a kid at risk by Lake Illawarra PCYC right. and um, ended up in Melbourne running nightclubs by the time I was about 18, 19. I was heavily involved in things that were quite unsavory. Right. You know, come to my mind that go along with that scene, drugs and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I was working with a, a drug dealer that was very high up in the Asian triads and he had more money than I knew what to do with and he would offer that to me all the time so you've earned yourself a
1: responsible position by the time you've turned 18 and how long do you spend working with this guy i mean he sounds like a rather dangerous guy it seems to me that you work for somebody like that you associate with those kind of people surely that would put a bit of a target on your back as far as law enforcement goes
0: I think what it came down to is the fact that I I never felt like I was going to be able to get out. Once you got in, you kind of were stuck in that rut. And I was very good at what I did as well. Running events and management, I would get 3,000, 4,000 people a night to an event. Most of that is produced as a gateway to these drugs and these other substances. Alcohol is the main one, and it, it destroys lives, but when you're so close to it, you can't see it.
1: Mm, sure, sure. Okay, so working with this guy and holding a position of responsibility, clearly you're not in jail
0: now. Praise God. No, but he ended up in jail for about 14 years. Right. And I, how I missed it, out on that by about you? five minutes. Okay, so that
1: was my big question. was how did you? Because oh, I have heard snippets of this story. Yeah. How did you actually miss out on that? So he's gone to jail for a very long time and you don't.
0: Yeah, so... I was actually at his apartment about five minutes before a police raid happened, and I saw the police lining up down the side of the buildings as I was walking out the elevators for reasons I'm not going to tell you where that building was. Um, but basically, he he went to jail for 14 years, and they didn't actually get him for drugs. They got him for passport fraud. Right. Strangely enough. Yep. That's interesting.
1: And often this is what the police will do. They'll know that somebody's guilty for something, but they don't have enough evidence to take it to court, but they can take something else to court and accomplish the same thing and
0: Yeah, and that's what they did. But at this point when he went to jail, I was like, Okay, well, this is a, probably a really good time to get out of this mess that how long, I've in. How, how long have you been in it? So for about this? four and a half years. I've right. been I've been doing stuff until I was about twenty three. Yep. Yep. And yeah. So this gives you an opportunity to break free. Where does that journey lead you? So I found a girl at a nightclub and you know we eventually got married and I thought that was the the next evolution of life and I also thought that you know having a baby was the the next best thing as well so that's exactly what we did Yep so I, you've you've started your family life is
1: good what kind of work are you involved in now you've moved on to something a little bit more
0: Yeah so I board. I became a a developer of multiple things so apps and all sorts of things like this and From there, we kind of moved from Melbourne to Sydney, and my wife got pregnant, and then from there, I can pretty much tell you this story. Okay, and I find it interesting that
1: you say you left home when you were 15. I'm wondering how much formal education you had as far as doing
0: that kind of work goes. I have absolutely no formal education whatsoever. I'm completely self-taught. I run a multi-million dollar business and have... A lot of fun doing it. <laughs> Praise it's, God. It's my passion and you know I love it, but these days we just develop apps and stuff like that. And, yes, yeah. and talk about Jesus when you get the opportunity. I get called to do that all the time, and it's the thing that I love more than anything because I also have some regrets in my sure. life, some times in my life where I'd seen amazing miracles and I failed to actually stand up and say anything. Mm. There are circumstances where I did say something or I did communicate to that person that was sitting next to me asking questions what God had actually done in my life and how he actually changed things for me. And I think that's the only way that we're ever going to be able to get the message of Jesus Christ out there is by actually sharing our stories and our testimonies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Praise God. Okay, so you mentioned that you moved to Sydney with your wife. You've got a child on the way, and at some point here that story Snowball. begins your snowballs and begins your conversion experience, but through a few hard knocks. Mm. What happens
0: next? Okay, so as we moved to to Sydney, my daughter was born, and things kind of went from bad to worse. Like I had not really acknowledged God for about 10 years or so since I'd moved out of home. And trying to do it on your own really, really doesn't work. But it takes a long time for young people to actually figure this out. And it takes a long time before we as humans realize that our humanity is linked to our creator.
1: Particularly when you're a successful businessman, I think. Mm. Because when you're successful in the world, it's kind of like, well, why do I need God? I'm doing this fine by myself. I'm a self-made man. And you can make a long list of the things that you don't need. You're doing fine without formal education. You are successful in everything that is placed in front of you. What do you need God but God
0: was calling to you and speaking to your heart and revealing that you need him. I guess you have to hit rock bottom before you start to realise that you don't want to be alone in it. Sure. And I hadn't hit rock bottom yet. I was driving an SLK compressor, Mercedes-Benz paid off, all this sort of stuff. and Sydney's not a cheap place to live either. No, and I thought I had life locked down. Now, we moved from Melbourne to Sydney because her parents had actually said, if you come to Sydney, we will give you a house for free. That's the conditions of you guys staying together. If you stay together, this is your inheritance. So when we moved there, we were all great. We were like, okay, this is amazing. So we moved. As I was born, though, my wife ended up with severe postnatal depression. Really, really bad postnatal depression. And me being a 25-year-old, I had no idea what I was looking at. I had no idea what depression looked like. I had no idea what anxiety looked like. I was just cruising through life, making waves, and I had no idea what I was actually seeing. That's probably one of my other regrets is the fact that I wish I could have helped her. Mm -hmm. But eventually things got so bad that she wouldn't pick up our daughter. She wouldn't touch her. She wouldn't go near her. I would come home from work and things would be very messy and... I can leave it to your imagination as to if you're not caring for your child correctly that these things are out of control very fast. Very fast, particularly with young children. It only takes half an hour for things to get very out of control. And as a man, you know, you come home and you see somebody not doing the right thing in your household and what do you think you do? You start yelling and you start screaming and you start getting in their face or whatever you want to call it. And I'm not proud of these moments but they're necessary to show people because... If they don't see a picture of who I am, they don't understand what God's actually done in my life.
1: Sure, sure. Okay, so you would come home to a house that was a disaster and a child that has been neglected all day, yes. without an understanding of what postnatal depression was. Yeah, and without an understanding of that, I guess it kind of just looks like, "What are you doing? I'm I'm going out and working hard all day and bringing home the exactly uh, the bacon." And, and yeah, okay, so. Does that find resolution somewhere along the line?
0: Yeah, I'd just like to point out it's not bacon. I wasn't coming home with bacon. (laughs) But, no, look, what it comes down to is the fact that things just spiral out of control in your relationships. Yes. When you're so young, you also have no idea what a good relationship should actually look like, especially if you've seen your parents split up and you've seen things go south regularly. You have no idea what this should actually look like. Mm -hmm. My relationship was horrible. I was very bad at communicating. I was very bad at everything and had no idea about it as well. So my partner ended up in the psychiatric ward and she ended up there for a long period of time. And as she was in there for a long period of time, she actually found somebody else that she wanted to be with more than me. Mm. And this is gut wrenching and hard, especially when you made some vows, that sort of stuff. When she actually said, look, I've, Well, it was actually the the staff that said to me, look, your wife's found somebody else and you need to move on with your life. That's basically how they said it to me.
1: While she's been in the psychiatric ward, you said she was there for an extensive period of time and we praise God that she's getting the help that she needs, but you're taking care of your daughter during this time?
0: Yeah, so I had my daughter a little bit, but the grandparents, as soon as they found out that somebody else was involved in, in the relationship... They came and kicked me out of the house. They Mm. held good on their word straight away, and as soon as that happened, I ended up practically on the street again. I swear I'll never put myself in that position ever again, but the fact of the matter is that they started looking after my daughter because they took the, the house and the security that I needed to actually care for her. And as this started happening, I moved into a warehouse that my mate owned, And I started having depression and anxiety myself. I think any father that's out there that gets split from his from his kids is, you know, pretty hard hit by this stuff. It hurts.
1: How how old is your daughter at this stage? She's only one. Yeah. That's it's awful. It's awful. So at this point do you have any recourse to go to the in laws and say, Look, you know, this is my daughter. I should be
0: raising my daughter. That conversation definitely happened multiple times. Mm. So as things started progressing from from bad to worse, I started feeling real anger towards God because when you don't acknowledge him and you don't have him as the center or the focus of your life, you end up, I don't know, blaming him for everything.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You
0: mm-hmm. never denied the existence of God? That You didn't go through a stage where you're like, oh, God doesn't exist, I don't care? It wasn't a denial of the existence of God. It was more, there's a God, but he doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's how I really felt. You know, like how how could this God that is there and all powerful let all this stuff happen on this planet? Mm-hmm. I mean, all the drugs and all the partying that I'd actually seen and I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, okay, well, he's there, but he doesn't really care about me. And you've seen a lot of that in a short space of time. Yeah. Look, when things started going really, really bad with my relationships, there was nobody there to help either. I can remember praying a few times and just thinking, look, while I prayed, God didn't do anything. Great. Yep. How does that change? So. Yes. Eventually, my ex-partner ended up getting out of the, the psychiatric ward. Now, at this point, I'm going on... 10-day benders, you know, like just getting drunk as much as I possibly can. Just to numb the pain? Yeah, definitely to numb the pain and to try and find another partner in life. You know, that's what you want. You want a companion, especially if you've been on your own for such a long period of time. And I had a 10-day bender experience with a couple of girls and they were just enjoying life. But at the end of the day, you could really see their unhappiness as well. Mm Mm-hmm. One particular day at this warehouse that I was living at, I get a phone call from the police and they say, you need to head over to the grandparent's house. So I came over there and as I'm sitting on the couch, the uh, police are explaining to me that I might not see my daughter again. Why? My ex-partner had gotten out of the psychiatric ward with the guy that she'd shacked up with. They put my daughter in the back of a car and they drove off. And to whatever degree... It took the police about two and a half weeks to track her down, and I had these feelings of never being able to see my daughter again. Mm. If you does
1: somebody have legal custody of your child at this stage, or uh, is it no, just an arrangement between? It's them? it's just
0: just an arrangement between yeah. grandparents and us. And so, at this point, I'm really, really struggling. The depression, the anxiety attacks start getting hectic. They start getting really, really strong, and. As they're building, I found myself unable to get off the floor of this warehouse. I couldn't work. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't move. You hear these stories on the news about, I don't know, the dad or the mum killing the kids and themselves, and that's all you can think about. While this is going on, that's all you can think about.
1: Mm, particularly when you know that there's a history of mental illness from both of these people involved.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And you know, when you have depression as well, I mean, I obviously wasn't as well as I I wanted to be at the the time either, you know, not being able to move and this sort of thing. Mm. But as I'm as I'm laying on the floor, I start threatening God, because I just had it. I was like, God, you have two options. You either step up in this moment and you save my daughter and you save me, or you step out of my life forever and I will defame your name to every person I meet for the rest of my life. That's the the promise that I made. That's, that's a hectic promise
1: right there. Owen, oh, how does God respond when you come at God like this?
0: I wasn't actually expecting it. My account on Facebook was on private and I got a friend request from somebody that I hadn't seen in 10 years since I was at church summer camps and things like that. And he said, oh, look, I'm actually a chaplain at an Adventist academy in Melbourne. And what's going on? I woke up with your name on my mind this morning, and I haven't been able to stop searching for you for about four hours. And this is about five minutes after I uttered these words of almost abuse to God.
1: That's pretty dramatic. And you've had no contact with this guy in that in the past 10 years? Does he know that you've, you know... Where your journey's gone? Really,
0: really and truthfully, he had no idea of my journey up to this point.
1: And certainly had no idea that you'd just been threatening God because
0: that was between you and God. Yeah, I, I don't think to this day he even knows what he did. I think that God puts people in your path and gives you opportunities, but you have to be able to see them. And I still didn't see them. So he he actually says to me, oh, look, can you call me? And I called him and I started telling him what was going on in my life. And he said, oh, look, I want to tell you about a God that can change your life, that can heal you, that can take your anxiety, that can take the stress away and that can give you peace. Even in these moments where there is so much destruction in your life, he can give you peace through it. The scariest part about this is that I didn't see it for what it was, even in those moments. I'm still struggling with these feelings of, is my daughter going to live? Is she going to come back? When you think about it, it hurts. You can't see God in those moments. Mm -hmm. As he said to me on the phone, look, I'm going to start praying for you. And I said, no, man, I don't want you praying for me. That's just weird. Don't pray for me. My dad was a pastor. He prayed all the time. It got him nowhere. Mm. (laughs) He said, no, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep praying. And he says, if you hang up on me, I'll pray twice as hard. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Okay. That's a unique approach, but I like it. Eventually, I gave in. If you guys knew this pastor, you would realize that he doesn't push the way he did that day. Mm -hmm. You know, because I've kept up the relationship with him for years gone by, but he never, ever stopped pushing that day. He just said, no, I don't care what you say. I know that I'm here to be talking to you for a reason. Instead of saying no, I eventually gave in and he prayed. And he asked God to take my pain and to take my, my anxiety and all the things that seem cliche to Christians. But I think when you have a definitive moment in time where you know you became a Christian, this would have to be my moment.